HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink, inspiring public curiosity about food. Learn more at mofad.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, and welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Elena Santigate. Today, I'm pleased to have Inga Witcher back on the show. Inga spoke on air with Greg back in 2015, and lots has happened since then. A fourth-generation dairy farmer and host of Around the Farm Table on Wisconsin Public Television, Inga has the best of both worlds, in my opinion. The farmer's life and a chance to travel and seek out the best products and producers in her community. Around the Farm Table connects consumers to thought to small, thoughtful producers through storytelling, forgotten recipes, and entertainment. Heading into its seventh season, the show is officially a mainstay. Now, with farming of any kind, there are inevitable ups and downs. This past year, Inga and her husband, Chance, experienced a low point that all farmers fear. Their beloved barn burned down and also destroyed their small dairy. Like a true hardy farmer, almost immediately after news of the fire, I saw quotes from Inga filled with optimism for the future and gratitude for the outpouring of love and support they'd received after their loss. Now, with plans to, be, to rebuild already in the works, it seems Inga isn't spending a lot of time looking back. Inga, welcome back to Cutting the Curd. Thank you for having me. It's so great to chat with you, and I'm, I'm really excited about like the coming spring season, especially for you with this rebuilding. Um, oh, we just had 16 inches of snow last night. Yeah. I'm so ready for spring. <laughs> I can't even tell you. I was, I was thinking about that. I was like, she's probably a few feet deep in snow at this point. Yeah. 16 inches. Oh, wow. I'm glad to be inside on the phone. <laughs> yes, that's good. That's good. So um, how are the rebuilding plans going? Tell us a little bit about you know, what, what you've got in the works as you look toward this uh, new beginnings this coming spring. Sure. Well, let me just give you a little bit of a background. So in 2016, I sold my organic herd of cows to a family just up the road that wanted to start milking cows. Mm -hmm. And the reason we sold is because we had too many cows for the 30 acres that we have. Mm -hmm. And 
one of the things that I really believe in is rotational grazing. Right. I love seeing the cows on pasture, mm-hmm. and I couldn't really get all their uh, dry matter intake from the 30 acres, and I was feeding, supplementing with hay, hmm. which gets expensive as well. Right. And how many, and, like, how many acres do you want for, for, like, proper, really healthy rotational grazing? How many acres per cow would you say? You know, I'm going to give you the answer that every farmer gives me when I ask that question, and it, it depends on your pasture. <laughs> there's, oh, there's that no makes sense. Yeah, for me, where, where I'm kind of, uh, I've been hauling my manure for the last few years. The pastures are kind of coming back. They're getting, uh, you know, they're they're getting back the nutrients. So I need about two acres mm-hmm. per animal to get that. Got it. To get what I real to to be my ideal grazing. Mm-hmm. So uh, I decided to sell off that herd. And take, I, well, I thought I was going to go to dairy farming forever. And I told my husband, I said, oh, I'm never going to milk cows again. And then, and wait, was, that, was cows, that a like, I never want to milk cows again? Or was it well, like, I was, mm. I was like, I'm fed up with this. This is crazy. I can't make a living doing this. Right. I, you know, I get love. And then I started crying every night at five o'clock when I go milk cows. And my <laughs> husband's like, okay, we're getting cows. That's all. That so didn't work. We, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it didn't work. So we said, well, and we've made cheese in the past forever. I mean, mm-hmm. I've made cheese in Virginia for years and years. It's just part of what we've done. Mm-hmm. So we decided to put a creamery in on the farm. Mm-hmm. So we started building um, in last spring, uh, and we used an old calf barn that had been uh, on, on the barn. We stripped that down and started building our creamery mm-hmm. and uh, our make room and our uh, aging room in there. And it was supposed to be every uh, the equipment was arriving on February or sorry November fifteenth, uh-huh. and on November fourteenth we woke up and the whole barn was oh ablaze. Goodness! So, we, so we lost the day before we got everything. We lost oh um, all of our calves were in the barn. Oh. We lost the whole barn. We lost the creamery. Everything. Yeah. Uh, luckily, our milk cows were all outside. Yeah, I and saw, our peppers. I, I are saw that in some yeah. of the news pieces. I thought, oh. What a, that's, that's good at least. And I guess now knowing that you were going to get all this fresh equipment the next day. <laughs> well, yeah. Kind of and like... it was also like, oh, we're finally going to be able to, cause we were, I was dumping milk for two mm. years, just milking cows for the sake mm. of milking cows and, and dumping milk. And so it was like, finally, like the end of the tunnel, like we're going to be able to put this into an income because we right. hadn't made an income off the farm for, um, for a while. And because so it's really a great time for us. And and just so that to so our listeners and and me also so that I can understand um in terms of like it sounds like you got out of the fluid milk business just because that's that was unsustainable. Um mm-hmm. and cheese is the added value product you can get a lot more a lot more value from the milk by selling cheese. Um Correct. Yeah. And, and is it also a a sort of an issue where it's hard to, was it like a, a business sizing issue where it, being in the, like pouring out all of that milk, it was almost easier and more cost effective in a totally crazy way than trying to even sell it as fluid milk with the size of farm. Well, no one, we couldn't sell it. No mm. one's going to come pick us up. We had, we thought we right. could sell it. I thought I had a contract to sell my 10 cows milk. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden we had this dairy crisis at right. the same time. So Unless, what's the milk truck going to come pick me up when they can go to a, a 500 cow dairy right. or a 2,000 cow dairy? Right. So it was, it, I kind of got caught, caught, you know, got caught in the, the crossfire there. Right. And and also, I mean, we've lost, I, I want to say, I think 400 dairies uh, in Wisconsin yeah. this year. Yeah. And it's, and we are in a crisis. A total like, big crisis. Big time crisis. I mean, and, it's, and it's, it's, I imagine it must be small family farms like yours, like, you know, it, it less is, than two, so, two dozen cows or so? 
Well, it's, you know, anything under 200 cows, really. Mm. I mean, 200 cows right now in that's Wisconsin, pretty small. that's a small farm. Right, right. And we just, we you know, we went to all these auctions this summer and just seeing these families who for generations have been on their farms and for generations have been mm. doing this, this lifestyle and they there's no one to it. take it over. You can't. And, and so, there, you, so I was at this... Yeah. I mean, just, well, do you oh. think it's a, did you get a, do you get a sense, especially this year with such a big loss in terms of number of farms, was it more of a sense of like secession, succession and like, like longevity, like loss of the next generation willing to do the work of farming or is it costs are just rising? It's like more and more. And then also with the milk pricing, what what do you feel like I, are the elements there? I think there's a lot of, uh, I guess kids, I want to say, my age, mm-hmm. folks that want to take over from their parents. I, mm-hmm. I forget that I'm not a kid anymore. You can, we can, but, you can be a kid. <laughs> Thank I'm you. still a kid. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you do it? How do you take on that much debt? Right. And how do you buy your folks out? Mm-hmm. And how do you take that on when you're not going to be getting any milk or money for your milk? Right. Everyone's operating at a loss. So how do you do that? Mm-hmm. And and That's did you feel, thing. Did you, so it sounded like you had this plan where you were going to put more effort into cheese making. And was, is that like a topic around communities that, you know, as an added value option or a way to kind of get a different, you know, dollar price for the end product? I found that it is. So mm-hmm. we had, after our barn burn in November, we had a few articles around in different newspapers for the dairy industry. And I had a lot of people contact me and say, and, you know, they're desperate right now, and they're just saying, hey, is that something we can do, too? Can mm. we start a small creamery and stay on the farm? Mm. And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing, especially in a place like Wisconsin, yeah. to have these amazing little dairies right. in all these little nooks and crannies that it, like it used to be? It would be And incredible. then we could have, yeah. Right? And have the different terroir of Wisconsin. Oh, totally. I mean, you could just imagine the cheese trail of, like, hidden gems that... And also, like, little... You know, I mean, this harkens back to more of the original way that the cheese economy happened, which was that mostly cheeses were sold very locally in markets near where cheesemakers and farmers lived. And even more so, most of the cheese was consumed on the farm, and there would be some that would be sold, Right. Mm-hmm. And it would be so exciting to bring that back. I feel like it would also just inspire a lot of tourism of like, you know, Wisconsin, you know, cheese tours and little ways that you could explore the state and enjoy that, that heritage well, in, in a way. Yeah, mm-hmm. it would be amazing. I've been around cheese my whole life. I made, I've always made a aged cheddar. And a few years ago, I got to go to France. And I remember I was doing this cheese tasting mm-hmm. and I was chasing, tasting this different cheeses from different areas. And I was just thinking, I remember tasting this goat cheese from Provence. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, that's really cheesy that they'd add like herbs to this. Like, why don't they just let the milk come through, right? (laughs) And so here's me on my high horse, like, oh, I can't believe these people. And then I was talking to the the person who was putting it on. They said, no, that's what the goats ate two days ago before the cheese was made and it got put on your plate. Wow. And I, my mind just went like, well, why aren't we doing more of this? Right? Because right, I mean, it really ties you to the land in a whole different way. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I just think about, like, would I, I have to, oh, or I've been planting about a quarter acre of garlic in one of my fields, and I kind of abandoned it this last year because mm-hmm. it's really, really hard to do by hand. Mm. Uh, and I'm going to graze my cows up there when, the, when these little garlic bulbs come up, uh-huh. and they can 
eat the garlic scapes and then I'll milk them and have that milk be a little bit different. You know, that's going to, I mean, for a cloth bound cheddar with that sort of a savory note in there, I'm, I'm excited by how that might turn out. Yeah. (laughs) I'm excited too. Yeah. And I was thinking too, a lot of, uh, I guess where my experience is different is I have coffee with a lot of farmers who Mm. are doing a lot of different things in their, their land. So I was chewing the fat, so to speak with these guys and they're Mm. putting in all this, um, like uh, kales and broccolis mm. and cauliflowers as cover crops uh-huh. before they put in, in the fall. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing to graze your cows on that in the <laughs> fall and then make like a amazing cheese? Oh, like yeah. you like just a put camembert. that earthy. You need a camembert exactly. style cheese for that. You really like get that extra level of that broccoli cabbagey note. Yeah, yeah. I just thought, oh gosh, how fun would it be to bring, to, to flavor the cheese not with flavoring, not with coloring, but with the pasture. Yeah. And I, you know, the fun thing also is like, this is the beauty of farmstead cheese making to me mm-hmm. is that when you have control or even influence over that, the agricultural side of the whole supply chain it kind of opens everything up to this whole other world of it. I mean, and some cheesemakers, you know, it's, I had a, a few weeks ago, we had um, a, my friend Mariana on, who is a, she's actually also based in Wisconsin and she's a, a small ruminant expert. And she was sort of talking a lot about how, yes, like the milk has all these incredible components and it's really unique and you can get such different um, flavors in the milk, but that said, when you're adding a lot of cultures and aging the cheese out for a really long time, like how much is that original stuff come through? It's sort of up in the air, you know, like we were debating it sure. a little bit. Um, but I think especially with fresh cheese, you do really get the sense of it. Um, and it could be so, I'm, I'm with you. I want to play around with that. I want to have a bite of your cheese from the garlic, uh, from the <laughs> garlic day, the day that they were rotated onto that pasture. <laughs> I'll say some. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Wow. So, so, you know, I love this, um, this window into like innovation on the farm, because I think that a lot of times, like we live in this era, I'm a total tech geek. I'm like the first one who wants to try out all the weird new technology. And my husband kind of is like, okay, we can, we can bring that strange contraption into our house and (laughs) you can talk to it. And I guess that's okay. But at the same time, it's like, we can get so caught up with like new technology in our world today and kind of think of farming as this you know, traditional old school thing that probably hasn't changed that much. When it, whereas in reality, it it sounds to me like you're thinking of optimizing your farm and, and what's happening there in the same exact way that people think about kind of where, how are they creating the new iPhone. Um, and I think that's really interesting. Do you feel like with this rebuilding that you are planning for, have you changed? I mean, it's not like you had your dairy in place and you were already trying things out, but are you going, have you tweaked any of your original designs, even in the, having the extra time or kind of like going back to a, you know, a fresh drawing board? Yeah, we're going to make our make space a little bit bigger. Mm. So one thing that we were doing is when we were putting in this last creamery is we had to figure out how to do it inside of a space and so we were saying well we've got this much room and it wasn't it was i think 15 by 15 Mm -hmm. uh, not a big space for everything so now we can add a little bit more space Mm. um and we can make everything look the barn was beautiful but it needed a coat of paint Mm. for sure (laughs) like many barns do (laughs) yes 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 so now it can be and the other thing about the barn too is 
it was never sort of our barn. So mm-hmm. um, it was Marvin Thompson's barn who right. farmed here for 70 years. Right. And even though I've been here for almost 15, it's still, it's never going to be my farm. It's always going to be Marvin's farm. Right, right. But I thought, well, now we can build the, the barn that's going to be our barn. Yeah. And, um, and we can kind of, one thing I'd love to do, and I'm not sure that I can do it, but I'd love to put in a viewing window into mm. our creamery yes. so that we can have that educational aspect. Mm-hmm. I'd also love to do that in the barn where we're milking. Because even here in Wisconsin, where everyone thinks dairy cows, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. we still have children, I get to go out to libraries and schools, that don't know where milk comes from, mm. that don't know Never where a cow is. Yeah. And it's just in these rural communities where you drive past it on the bus on the way to school, but they have no you idea. Never see it. Yeah. What is it? Seven percent of adults in the United States think that that chocolate milk comes from um, brown Swiss, you know. <laughs> and uh, I have, I have, yeah, I have Jersey cows, so they they're mm-hmm. the ones that look like the deer with those beautiful yeah. eyes and the brown and I, to, and I told white a, speckles. Yeah, yeah, I told a group of adults that came out from the Twin Cities. They said, "I love this breed of cows, but I have to get up extra early in the morning to do their smoky eye and put mascara on them." <laughs> and they were like, "Oh my goodness, that's a lot of work." <laughs> And I was like, yeah, and they give chocolate milk, too. You're so, like, yeah. I have a real commitment to cow fashion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, they're just, they're divas. <laughs> but, I love it. Uh, <laughs> but so there's such a disconnect mm. with our food system and, and totally. adults and kids alike. So, and that's what we did in Virginia is we had school groups out and they could see the actual mm. cheese being made. And for someone who doesn't know how that's done, I mm-hmm. take for granted. I grew up on a farm. I'm fourth right. generation on the farm. And so I take for granted the whole way of my lifestyle, and I'd love to share that with more people. Totally. Oh, I love it. Um, okay, I want to talk more about all of this, but it's time for a quick break. So we'll be back in just a moment with more from Inga Witcher. This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. Featuring a variety of interactive displays, MOFAD encourages eaters of all ages to be curious about food. The museum currently operates MOFAD Lab, a 5,000-square-foot experimental space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where Chow, making the Chinese-American restaurant, is currently on show until the end of March 2019. This exhibition celebrates the birth and evolution of Chinese-American restaurants, tracing their nearly 170-year history, and sparking conversations about food culture, immigration, and what it means to be American. It highlights the evolution timeline of Chinese-American restaurant menus, dating back to 1910, and also highlights a tasting section where participants get to enjoy tastings created by the country's most talented chefs who specialize in Chinese-American cuisine. Make sure you check out Chow while you still can. The exhibition closes at the end of March 2019. Check out MOFAD's tastings and extensive event calendar at mofad.org slash events. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm Elena Santigade, and I'm here with Inga Witcher, dairy farmer and host of Around the Farm Table on Wisconsin Public Television. So Inga, right before the break, you mentioned that you were excited about you know, I mean, there, you, we were talking about this connection between 
food and a products like cheese or even fresh milk and how these things are made and who's making them and the, the importance of opening that process up a bit um, for people. And you mentioned for grownups and children alike. And I know I wanted to ask you because I heard that you are working on um, a children's program potentially. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. So we're working on a pilot for a children's show that really takes place on the farm mm-hmm. uh, in an orchard in different places so that we can connect kids back with uh, with farming. So in our pilot episode, we talk about how eggs are a lot of different colors. They're not just mm-hmm. white. They can be right. green. They can be blue and pink and brown. And we talk about how to feed a calf or just or visually just so the children can see the farm life. And I know from our show around the farm table where we kind of, our audience, we, our target audience for that was mostly adults, but we're finding that so many children hmm. love the show hmm. and they love seeing the animals and they love going on that journey with us yeah. from farm to farm to farm to find out what's happening. And so our hope is that we can have the show. So whether you're in a city or in rural uh, America, you can the kids can see what's happening with agriculture. I love it. And I love the idea of, um, I don't know, just like, just sort of bringing them into that setting. You know, I think it's funny, uh, this is going to sound unrelated, but it's coming to mind for me where I'm, I'm just about finished with Michelle Obama's new book. I just finished it. Oh my gosh. It's so good. And so, well, then you probably will recognize the part that I'm going to mention, but I, I loved, I mean, she talks so much about kids and being a mom and sort of like her, uh, she keeps children in mind so much in that book. And it seems like in her whole life. But the thing that I loved was that she really, she said a few times in the book that she wanted more children to be in the white house. Like she just wanted to bring kids into these like sort of, serious and stodgy scenes to lighten them up. And like, Mm -hmm. and that, you know, she pointed, she was so quick to point out that kids not only like made things sort of fun and light, but helped grownups to take themselves a little less seriously to, to see the fun a little bit more and everything. And also, yeah, just like add that vibrancy. And, and so I really love that idea of like bringing kids into like the farming world in that sense of like, of course it's fun. Like, I mean, I was, I grew up, I had this like amazing sort of parallel existence where I grew up in New York city primarily, but then I'd spend my summers in Wisconsin. And so I feel Mm -hmm. like I got to be in nature and I got to understand it. But if I hadn't, I mean, I would be a totally different person if I hadn't had that exposure. Um, so I'm really excited about this project. Yeah. (laughs) It's amazing. I think one of the other things that Michelle was doing, look at me, call her Michelle, like we're best friends. Oh, Michelle. Um, Mish. Isn't that her nickname? (laughs) Mish. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what she asked me to call her. But but one of the things she was doing too by bringing kids in the White House is Mm -hmm. letting them know it's accessible to them. Right. You you can be here when you're adults too. Right. And and so hopefully with the show too, we can access kids and say, yeah, you want to be a farmer? You can absolutely be a farmer. I see a lot in Wisconsin with uh, a lot of the vegetable farmers that I meet, Mm -hmm. they're first generation on the farm. Mm -hmm. And it's exciting to see these folks coming out of college and saying, we want to get our hands on the dirt. We want to grow really good food for people. We want to make sure it's nutritious and accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's just been so exciting. Totally. And so the other fun thing, I mean, your show, I, so I went down the rabbit hole, did some binge watching of your show this past week. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because I I just loved it and it was like first of all 
gorgeous. Like some of those, just the, the like farmland vistas that you get on that show. It felt to me like I was, I, like I took a retreat <laughs> and I'm like sitting in the well, middle of good. Brooklyn. <laughs> but um, well, yeah, it, it was very good. And, and I'm excited good. about how uh, just, you know, that same idea of like an, encouraging and inspiring more people who could be first generation farmers who like Mm -hmm. otherwise would have no way to even imagine what that life would be like. Um, Mm -hmm. It seems so unique. It's like a great way to use the the immediacy of the technology we do have today with communicating. And I I will say farming is not easy. Like a lot of people Mm. will come up to me and say, I really want to be a farmer. And I'm like, most (laughs) of my job is just moving cow manure. That's 90% of it. (laughs) It's not as glamorous as some might think. (laughs) Yeah, you must have a lot of people who just see the show and they're like, oh, I want to have a... um, A Scandinavian lunch out in the back of my barn. (laughs) Well, what would you say? So that brings up an interesting question of, you know, for you, you know, now that you're, now that you're in your own operation, you know, it's one thing to grow up on a farm, I would imagine, and another thing to be running your own, you know, your own farm. What would Mm -hmm. you say in terms of the reality of that? I don't know. Is it different from how you would have expected it to be? Like, are there any big things that have been surprising to you about kind of having your own farming world? I think the biggest thing that was surprising to me, and I came in this as a single woman uh, mm. when I was 24. Wow. And I really didn't, I didn't think I was going to get a loan. I was just kind of filling out the paperwork because to make my dad happy. And I thought they would never <laughs> give me a loan, but they gave me a loan because they told me I was socially disadvantaged. Oh, you're like, and oh, I was thank, like, thank you for acknowledging that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, would you like to come to a cocktail party? Cause I'm a heck of a host, <laughs> but they, they had to fill a quota for women farmers. So they wow. gave me this loan and I was like, you guys are out of your mind. I don't know what I'm doing. And, um, but I just, you know, I, I, I made it work and I love it now, but I think the most surprising thing is how many people came out from my little community here mm. to help me all the time. Mm. And I still like, I still have, um, well, like this morning we went, our rooms are kind of caving in. I mean, I think we, maybe in our little community, we lost like six barns so far. I just got a call from my, oh, from my wow. friends. His, uh, freestall just went down with their cows and tried to get over there, but the roads oh. are still closed with all the snow. Oh. But we went into town we were getting boards for our barn and, um, our truck broke down. So one of our other neighbors came to get us and his brother's going to bring out the lumber later on. And <laughs> it's just living in these little communities yeah. is amazing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, at first I, I thought, well, cause they're all, it's, my my peers in dairy farming, they're 70-year-old men. Hmm. And I thought they were going to just be like, this girl is crazy. Right, um, like, let's watch her fail. Like, <laughs> yeah, but they were like, honey, if you need anything, you just bat your eyelashes and anyone's going to do it that for you. And I was like, so this is sweet. very good advice. <laughs> this is very good advice. And years later, they're still helping me out. But, wow. you know, they've spent time teaching me how to change the oil in my skid steer hmm. or help me set up some gates or when I'm filming on the other side of the state and my cows happen to get out and go into their field Mm. uh, to have a snack, they bring them home for me. And it's just, um, I didn't, I never expected to create a family Mm. from my neighbors. And that's exactly what happened with farming. And also I really never expected to just love it this much. I Mm. never feel like I have to work at all. I just feel like this is just a part of life. Just living. And Mm. Just living, yeah, and it's just, and people say to me, well, gosh, I mean, having a dairy farm, you have to milk cows twice a day, 
You're like, like that's yeah. going to be terrible. And it's like, well, no. <laughs> I mean, like, that's just what we do. And that's how I get out of going to a lot of things. I said, well, I'd love to go, but I have to stay home and knock the couch. <laughs> so it works out great for me. <laughs> I love that. I need that as an excuse, you know. It's like, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I've been trying to go to bed earlier, and it's like, I I don't have a good thing to say, when I yeah. except just to say, like, well, I'm trying to go to sleep earlier. But if I could just say, you know what, i got to wake up at about 5 a.m. to milk my cows. It would be a lot <laughs> I easier. That. Like, I yeah, I've had dinner parties, and I'm like, okay, 8.30, everyone has to go. Oh, amazing. <laughs> you say you have to milk out in the morning. It's the best excuse. It's so, you know, no, as, it, it, as a New Yorker, it's like, it's so fun to, like, have, to to be hearing, you know, the, just about your experience in a farming community, because I think it's so easy, especially when you're living in a more urban setting, to think that a rural existence is a lonely existence. And I think that the funny irony there, or I don't know, irony really isn't the right word, but the funny sort of trick of mind there is that in New York or any urban center, it's like you can create a lot of community, but it, you can also feel a lot like, I don't know if you know them, but like those trapdoor spiders. Have you ever heard of these? Yeah. They're, they're little spiders that live in basically the equivalent of like a spider studio apartment. And they'll live in like banks of of ground with like, and they'll all live near each other. It'd be like hundreds of them, but they only live in their own little hole and they never socialize. They're like not Mm -hmm. social. And so that, that sort of reminds me of New York sometimes or like an urban center where you're, you're on top of each other. There's so many people, but you actually can create a life of isolation because you don't really need to rely on that many people. And at least not, you don't rely on people consistently and the same people. Whereas I think what, you know, what I'm hearing you say and my own understanding of a rural community is that you have to rely on people. And at first glance, you might not even get along, but like you, it's almost like family in the way that uh, communities like that come together and kind of, you're just interwoven. It is. And the other thing about the farming community is that well, bef- like before I got married, I was out here a lot, just alone all day long. Mm-hmm. And unless I wanted to take a break and go have a beer with one of the neighbors or something, it's like you're. It's it's it is a lot of solitude. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny, like when the vet would come out and you just visit with the vet for an hour and a half and catch up on each other's lives, or mm-hmm. the guy who comes out and breeds the cows. I mean, that was like that was my life. Those are like big big just, social outings. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, good. Someone has to come over and breed the cows today. I have someone to talk to for twenty minutes, you know, or just. Um, <laughs> going out and picking up feed and you just have these long conversations and it really it's it is an extended family of just all these people it's Mm. just and everyone knows each other yeah which is great yeah totally and everybody probably has known each other for many generations for yeah and it's still i mean it it took me a little while to get into the community here because they were just like i'm sorry you're from where um and you didn't (laughs) grow up here uh we're gonna shut you for five years yeah (laughs) you gotta you have to like earn it a little that's i feel like that's true everywhere it's a bummer yeah so i had so i had to start a tv show and start putting the neighbors on it and now they love it (laughs) (laughs) great tactic inga (laughs) so here's a question you know you've mentioned that there are some first generation farmers around you know the state that you've um, connected with, and I, you know, on your show, it seems like there are some sort of uh, younger producers that you end up featuring. Do you have, um, how, like, how do you feel like you pay it forward in that sense? Like you're helping a newer crop, haha, of people to <laughs> to come forward. I hope so. Mm-hmm. I hope so. One of the missions of doing our show around the farm table was 
to get the word out there about these these different things that people are doing. And um, so what makes you, when you go to the store, what's going to make you grab these salad greens over these salad greens? Mm. Well, if you know the story behind the people and you know their passion for what they're doing, you're going to grab their greens, right? Mm, right? And so I'm hoping that by, and we're getting feedback from farmers that, oh, thank you so much, we're getting more business. And that's what we want to do. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's like, uh, I've been helped out so much. I still, every day, I'm ask questions to farmers uh, that have been doing it longer than me and they're, they're ready to help me. So I hope that I can give some advice or be here to help these younger farmers with even just if it's a, they need to get on the phone and just cry for a while. Mm, <laughs> it, yeah. it can yeah. get stressful. Well, it's also must be, it's like in any role, I think it's so helpful and important to know other people who understand your daily existence. Just people who can see you and understand it without you having to explain. And like, sometimes that's enough, right? Yeah. Well, right now, uh, farmers' suicide rates are higher than any other Mm. suicide rates. Yeah. And so it's just, you know, reaching out and talking to those people and letting them know, yeah, I've cried and screamed and I've wanted to throw everything away. I've driven away from the farm and said, forget all this. And I've been where we've, thank God we had meat in the freezer because that was the only food that we had. We didn't have any money. I mean, it's hard. And so when you can know that other people have had those those situations, I have a friend, Josh, Mm -hmm. um, his wife, I don't know if you know Cosmic Creamery up in Amory. Oh yeah. That's somewhere to check out. So uh, Dave, I've known them for years and about twice a year, once in the fall or the wintertime and once in the spring, I talk to Josh on the phone. And in the winter, it's always like, forget this. Let's just sell everything. Let's go get day jobs. I mean, this is, why are we doing this? It's, it's, there's no end in sight. And then in the spring, when the, all of our cows are calving right. and we call each other and it's like, this is the it's best. Amazing. Let's, let's do this forever. <laughs> this is, everything is going to be so great. And it's just to have those people that you can call and just say, mm-hmm. oh, no, that well, you can get through it. And you know what? I think there's something. So this is, again, reminding me of another little tidbit from Michelle Obama's book. This is going to be like our tangential Michelle Obama, um, <laughs> her becoming uh, episode. But there's something to almost wanting to quit some aspect of your life and making a conscious decision not to in a repeated mm-hmm. way. And and the part mm-hmm. of the book that I'm referring to is that amazing story of the amazing honesty in that in that story from her mom, who admitted that almost every spring she considered leaving her husband (laughs) and just kind of thought through it and like really thought through like, how's this going or what would my life look like without him? And she never left. But, and in a way it was like, there's strength in that when you're like, when you recommit even after feeling like this is so hard or this is just, how could this be worth it? Um, The the first day I ever milked cows, I, uh, it took us, a milking should have taken about 25, 30 minutes my dad was out there with me. It took us eight hours to milk the cows. Oh. And I was terrified. The cows were coming in the barn. They were running up and down the barn. They and I'm were sure so, they I'm were sure feeding they were... off of your energy. That's the oh, kind of thing I'm where it's sure like, if you're were. nervous, they're nervous, and yeah. nothing's going to yeah, go well. Yeah, they're like, well. lady, chill out. <laughs> and so we finally we got the cows in the stalls, and my dad, I heard his ribs break. He was in between two <gasps> cows, and I squished him. Oh, my gosh. And I just, I just said, dad, dad. And I said, started crying and he said and he was had a smile on his face he's like no everything's fine and he said you can start crying you can quit you can scream and run away 
but not until these cows are milked and we're inside by the fire having a martini. And that has been the best life advice I've ever had. I love it. And so every time, yeah, every time like I want to quit something or it's just not going right or my fingers are freezing cold and Mm -hmm. the the water pumps frozen, I just think to myself, I should just go inside and have a martini. No, no, I think, well, when I get all this done, then, you know, that's the thing is then I can scream. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I think it's great advice. My, um, my, my, one of my, we are getting to the end of our episode and one of my last questions was what advice you would give. So I think you just answered that. I love that advice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wow, Inga, I'm so happy that we got a chance to connect today and thank you so much for taking the time to, chat with us and give us a little insight here into life on the farm out there in Wisconsin. Well, thanks for having me. And I hope you'll stop by next time you're in Wisconsin. Absolutely. And um, tell us how our listeners can best find around the farm table. And uh, we're all crossing our fingers that this pilot for your new project gets picked up. So um, how can, what's the best way for people to watch some of your episodes and see what's coming down the line? Yeah, you can go to our website, aroundthefarmtable.com, mm-hmm. and you can watch our shows there. And you can also find us on Facebook at Around the Farm Table. And we'll have uh, shows airing nationally, hopefully, if you want to ask your local PBS station to start carrying Around the Farm Table so you can see what's happening uh-huh. in the Midwest with fantastic food and great ingredients. Great. Well, thanks again so much, Inga, and go have that martini. It's almost time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We'll All talk right. to you soon. Okay. Bye. Listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode. You can check out Inga's show, Around the Farm Table, as she mentioned, on aroundthefarmtable.com. It's also on Wisconsin Public Television at wpt.org. And I thought that was a great tip to request that your local PBS station pick up the show. Please keep the conversation going with us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Cutting the Curd. Or shoot us an email at cuttingthecurd at heritageradionetwork.org. We're always excited to hear your show ideas, your feedback, and just to say hi. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week with more Cutting the Curd. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.